Hi and welcome everyone to the I have a dream podcast where host Rajan Navani initiates candid conversations with industry leaders and experts to explore their aspirations for India as we enter a golden period. Rajan is the national chairman of CII's Council on Future Businesses India at 75 and the Artificial Intelligence Task Force and chairman managing director and CEO of Jet Synthesis. Today's episode features Shaheen Mistri, CEO of Teach for India, where she talks about the future of education in India. To find out more, stay tuned. A very good afternoon to all of you ladies and gentlemen and welcome to this wonderful chat series that we've been having. Really privileged now to have with us uh, Shaheen Mistri. You know, this one is on the focus on the right to education for all. I think uh, Shaheen uh, has been one of the key people, I would say, not only in India but in the world, who has really championed the cause of education, a universal education, and that too at the highest level uh, that can be delivered. And it's more a right for everyone. She's the CEO of Teach for India. Of course, serves as one of its founding board members. Of course, she also started Akanksha, and I still remember Shaheen the initial days. You know, when 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 you had set that up, such a phenomenal institution that really you know captured what the city slums children you know needed, both in terms of skills and education, to be able to make themselves members of society that can add and contribute you know to our country. And I think. You've done a phenomenal job with so many centers and schools, particularly around Mumbai and Pune, but also the Teach for India, Teach for America. Uh, Shaheen has been an Ashoka Fellow, a Global Leader of Tomorrow for the World Economic Forum, Asia Society 21 Leader. So many accolades. But I know you as a person, Shaheen, and and for you, all of that it doesn't any way take away what you stand for, what you represent, you know, and what you. truly feel at the core of your heart right and that's how india can really you know educate our masses and every indian has an education that is you know competent enough to get them a very worthwhile livelihood and also then create a larger impact in society so the idea today is to capture your thoughts your vision uh, for india your dreams for india but you know particularly given that education is something that you know is prime to you maybe we'll start with that and really keeping the present education system of the country in mind you know what's working well and what isn't maybe two things that are working well and two things <laughs> that you think are are not working as well or what can we do maybe we start with thank you for that and and thank you so much for this this opportunity to share some of my thoughts i think look a, a lot is is working well i go back to when i started my work 30 years ago and i think the first big shift is people really are talking about the need for educational change and i always believe that when dialogue has started uh when more and more people come on board and care about this when the policies of the land are reflecting that dialogue you're you're in a good place and so i would say the first is is broadly just education has become part of the conversation it's become part of the dialogue it's become part of what we we really care about we're talking about we're working for so that to me would be the first big one i think the second is 
probably at the intersection of access. I think we've made really big strides as, as a nation to get education to be accessible uh, to almost all our children. Uh, many kids still, still falling through the cracks, but to almost all of our children. Um, and I think we've made a big push uh, most recently, you know, elevated to a national mission with foundational literacy and, and numeracy. So I think those are, are some of the pieces that are, are working well. I think the two pieces that I think perhaps we don't talk enough about that feel very, very important to talk about. One is just the need for more and more leadership at all levels um, focused on, on education. I think today still, it is not a top three choice for bright young people to become teachers, to get into the education sector. And you see that mirrored at all levels of the system. I think unless we change who gets excited, who comes into education, the value proposition uh, for people to enter the sector, we're not going to get as far uh, as we want. I think that's the first. I think the second, which I really think a lot about, you'll probably hear me reference this multiple times through the conversation, is we, we still think of children only as the beneficiaries of education, but we don't really give them a stake in the education system. We're not listening to our children. We're not asking them, why do you want to learn? How do you want to learn? What do you want to learn? We're not engaging them as equal partners in this work. And I think that is a huge missed opportunity. Student voice, student agency, student partnership um, in, in really saying, how do I take control of my own education and the education of others? No, I think, I think your, your second point is, is so valid. And, you know, if we are able to at least involve this generation of children into that, hopefully we'll get a lot more of them choosing education as a career to address your first problem because they'd be so involved in, you know, kind of shaping that. So if we have missed one generation, maybe we can now make sure that the next generation of leaders in education comes, you know, out of this proactive, you know, kind of involvement. So I think, you know, very, very great point. And, and hopefully over these next 25 years, you know, which a prime minister likes to call the Amrit Khan, you know, the emerging of, of a new India, uh, you know, we'll be able to see this emergence of children who will then become, you know, educators as we as we move forward. But, you know, I think there, there has been on a policy side also, Shaheen, you know, a lot of work that has happened, right? Particularly with this new education policy, you know, with right for education for all. I mean, you've seen this over 30 years, right? So how, how significant, you know, is this change? And really, what does it change on the ground when it comes to education? And how can stakeholders really participate to make a difference, you know, uh, using this policy uh, differently, given that you must have studied this quite closely? Yeah, I mean, I, I really am a big fan of the policy. Uh, you know, you, you go through and you read it and you almost wonder if you can visualize a single school in India across any income level that actually embodies um, everything in the policy. So I think as a guiding document, as a, as a document that really is of the highest ideals, it's a beautiful, uplifting, inspiring document. 
I think like with everything, Rajan, you know, it it breaks down an implementation. And I think what you said at the end is so important, unless we as stakeholders and civil society say, we're going to make this happen. Uh, we're going to each um, empower uh, ourselves, our own families, our own schools to, to actually implement this. There's too much of a gap between what we see on the ground and the policy. I think we need to, one, allocate adequate resources to make a policy like that happen. I think still today, unfortunately, we are a nation that doesn't invest in education with what we invest the vast majority of it goes to teacher salaries, leaving us very little wiggle room uh, for other, other uh, areas of change. So I think we need to think about that. I go back again to the people point, unless we're investing a lot in who we bring into the sector, how we value them, how we reward them, how we invest in their ongoing development, uh, we're not really going to be able to to move very far with the policy. So I think, you know, no silver bullet answers um, is, is my perspective. It's going to take time, thought, really good people, adequate resources, and a lot of belief. Uh, I think one thing I worry a little bit about in India is because the problem is so vast and so deep, and education is such a difficult thing to solve, uh, we tend to look for the silver bullet solution and we tend to say, how can we make incremental change at scale? And while that matters, we must remember as a nation that that is not enough. Even foundational literacy and numeracy, that is one step forward, but that is not what children need ultimately to lead successful, meaningful lives. So how do we, in addition to resources and people, also hold a high enough bar um, and say we will put in the resources to get to that place versus lowering the bar uh, year after year? Yeah, you know, I think this whole exercise of India at 100 is to really create that order of magnitude change, you know, to think disruptively, you know, to, to really aspire for the highest possible outcome. And then, you know, if you fold the future back, you know you need to innovate. You write what you rightly said. Not only do you need, you know, the right resources, but you also need that innovative mindset, right? And especially in a country like India, you know, where there is scale, there is always a much larger potential for innovation because, you know, the frugality that can come out of that exercise or the, you know, price performance that we are able to achieve in a country like India is far better or superior to any other part of the world, especially when we look, look at the Western countries, the cost of what it takes to educate someone and what the outcome is. Of course, there is high, but with, in India, we can do a lot more with you know, probably a lot less if we get it right, you know, yeah. but you still said that the teacher salaries is the highest cost and still I think our teachers are underpaid, right? I mean, when we come, maybe that's the reason people don't join the profession. But as Teach for India, Shine, I think you've created a phenomenal model, right? That is addressing this, this leadership deficit, particularly when it comes to education, you know, in India. And, and, and really, how does that translate, right, to a larger, you know, vision for education where you can get other stakeholders? Around? See, we see a lot of pockets of excellence in India. But yeah. if there's one big initiative that's working well, I think one thing we'd love to see as the India at 100 Foundation moving forward and especially India at 100 is to see how we can align more interesting and committed stakeholders around larger visions that are working well, right? And help scale that. So 
I know Teach for India is a phenomenal model. You know, there's a Teach for America. You've done that. I mean, throw some light and and how can others get involved? I think Rajan, you know, many years ago, I went to a conference in Florida, and I remember nothing about that conference except one thing, which is when we walked into the room, there was a multiplication sign on the screen, and that concept of the multiplier has stayed very, very present for me through these years. See, Teach for India is essentially a, a multiplier, and I think that's why it works. What we say is that we will run a two-year intensive fellowship for really bright young people, right? So our belief is that our nation needs our brightest people to focus on education. In the short term, we actually only have about a thousand fellows teaching, and they teach thirty-two thousand children, right? Drop in the bucket. But because the investment is in them as leaders, and leadership is such a powerful multiplier, as alumni post the two years today, they are reaching thirty-three million children because they are going on to work in policy, in curriculum development, in teacher training, in ed tech. And that's, I think, how we need to think in India. We need to say which models go deep because education is about depth, but which models multiply. And for that, I I keep coming back to an investment in leadership. You know, if you invest in one leader, we may have a, a Tarun Cherakuri who has worked as a Teach for India fellow, only really teaching twenty five thirty kids in the two years. But today runs a program called Indus Action, which is getting lakhs and lakhs of children to enroll in school through the right to education. So again, the multiplier model is what I I think makes Teach for India powerful. The the other interesting thing. I don't know if you're familiar with the the researcher Erica Chenoweth, but she studied a lot of social movements around the world and and come up with this you know rough formula that if you can engage 3.5 percent of people in a particular issue, you can actually bring about a tipping point. Uh, and so, Teach for India is obsessed with this number now, saying in our regions, if we can get 3.5 people beyond our immediate community. To engage with educational equity, will there be a powerful ripple? So again, I think when you break that down, Rajan, the importance of proof points in India is very significant. I know the government thinks a lot about can we scale, can we reach all children, and that is of course our ultimate aim. But we're still at a place where we don't believe as a nation. You know, when when people see my Teach for India kids, they say, "Oh wow, they can speak English." Oh my goodness, they're going to college. You know, we don't believe that you can, with great opportunity, overcome the disadvantage of your background. So I think we need a lot of proof points, and then we need a lot of models that are able to be disruptive enough to multiply depth work at scale. What you rightly said, broad basing this entire process of people having the basic skills, but then. Also pushing for excellence, right? Because ultimately, your fellows are those ones who are the brightest and who are creating change. And I think yeah. again, that's a very virtuous cycle, you know. And of course, the more I'm talking to you, the more I'm convinced that forget what has happened so far. But over the next ten years, if we can get the 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 right kind of children attention, you know, delivered and have them participate in this process, that funnel for the the next generation of leaders who will. 
champion this cause passionately will come before we hit india and under probably you know yeah. but but you know there's a lot not changing right in in education i mean you mentioned it briefly before you know it's it's so strongly student centric you know person centric learner centric today from the other side how does one really look at education right future skills there's so much of information of google you know we always say is that truly education you know what's the difference between knowledge and applying you know uh, information in different ways interdisciplinary you know so how how is the world of education changing and and i think more importantly what can india do to prepare for it right i think you know because you are also grassroots connected here yeah what's on that yeah you know I, i mean this is like my favorite question because i think it all starts with really asking and expanding the definition of education again because of the burden of scale and numbers we've made tremendous progress in momentum towards skilling and yet education still today in india is essentially competition to get into a college to get a job to start that cycle again with your kids and while there are pockets as you said of interdisciplinary socio emotional learning and we see these examples around the world the typical indian school does not embrace that vision of education to us we sort of boil the purpose of education at teach for india down to three things we say first and foremost it is about self and by self we mean it is about giving children the opportunity to discover who they are their purpose in the world and then to develop the skills to get the livelihood of their choice right so that's the first part that's generally where education stops we're saying there are two other components the second is what we're calling other that education is not just about me actually a lot of the problems in our country and our world exist because of that definition of education education is equally about am i learning each day how to care for the other how to be more open minded how to embrace different perspectives and how to actually create opportunities for others to reach their potential so that's sort of part 2 and part 3 perhaps most importantly uh, is what we call india um education is about understanding our country and about really acting towards becoming a responsible citizen in the country and so we sort of break that down and say the the highest law of our land is enshrined in our constitution and actually in the four ideals in the preamble of our constitution if our children from grade 1 and 2 were practicing actions linked to equality fraternity justice and liberty they would grow up fundamentally different and my argument is the country would look very different at the end of it so really if we start with that rajan and we say education is about self other and in india children come to school not just to score well on exams but they come to school to unleash their greatest potential and to unleash the the potential of others and to make the country better i think everything we plan and measure in education will look different and will flow down from there so truly truly a beautiful definition for education you know again you know what you what you rightly said i think it it is clearly reflective of the the experience that you have had and you know where where this needs to go you know and i think there are different sets of stakeholders who can contribute to each of those pieces right because it 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 will require a lot of investment action to happen especially when you when you take what 
you are able to do to your optimal potential and then use that for others i think we are creating you know a, a phenomenal ecosystem and i know uh, industry has a big role to play in that shine you know because i mean i i am aware of some of the details of what thermax and you know people like anu and mehar have helped support in each for india and broad but industry people who have done well you know contributing to this cause actually making it you know their 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 largest uh, you know deliverable of coal uh, as one move forwards given that this entire movement of india at 75 leading to india at 100 has been anchored with industry and then bringing multiple stakeholders together what role do you think industry can play you know moving forward is it is it more towards you know uh, creating robust infrastructure more equitable you know distribution of education so one on the macro side and then you know i'm sure you have so many examples of 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 a grassroots level of you know a change so some role yeah. on what industry can do Yeah. yeah, I mean, so much, and and really, the answer is all of the above and and much more. But you know, to me, I break industry down into human beings, and I think today, just as as a person living in India, as a person from India, like it, it's no longer our prerogative to say we don't care. Like there just there's too much that needs to be fixed around us if we care about uh, the India that we leave to our children and our grandchildren. So my my short answer is if everybody just looked in the mirror and said not what little can I do, but how can I do the maximum that I can possibly do, and can I can I do it realizing that it will help the country. but really really cognizant of how fundamentally it will change me as a human being this has been my single most consistent lesson across 30 years i came into this work as a very rebellious 18 year old really thinking i had a lot to contribute and i've learned again and again and again that the more you give the more you get back and and i think that is the reason really to do it and i think if we cultivate that as individuals then industries will naturally uh take on the role that they have there is so much expertise within industry and there is so much there're just so many resources you know and, and the the obvious ones are the financial resources i think you know organizations like ours also being a larger ngo in the country still struggle to even raise one year's money in advance right so funding continues to be one of the top 3 challenges uh for the sector and really inhibits us for doing the level and volume of work we're able to do so that that's a very obvious one but i think the one that i found equally if not more important is the human capital that sits in industry the strategic inputs you know a lot of people in the ngo sector like myself came in just as passionate human beings nothing else no skill sets at all um and i i think what you're able to get when you partner um and can tap into the expertise the infrastructure the technology of industry is just massive so so i see it as absolute partnership going forward if we're to make any you know really shift the needle on any development issue we can't do it without industry as a significant partner you know we we uh, one of the things that we really took up very strongly is this entire skilled volunteering piece because what you rightly said there's so many you know very very attractive and you know uh, very i would say people who can create tremendous impact within industry and you know we don't know how to deploy a large part of those resources also how do ngos and others measure 
the impact of what those people have, right? So we did a whole, uh, you know, kind of a, a program. We were able to value that not as a CTC to the company, but to what the NGO benefited, you know, got it into a part of the 2% CSR, you know, spend that is there. But, but you know, I, I still think that what you rightly said, there is so much to unlock there, right? And I think maybe a technology platform or uh, some way, you know, whether Teach for India and India Cellular Foundation can, can work together to see what can really mobilize that because I think the intent is very similar from industry to Right? It's, it's about how do we get it to happen again at scale and maybe that's one follow-up agenda or follow-on agenda for us yeah. to, to work together on, you know, to see how we can get, you know, more industry people. The funding will anyways come when your own people are involved. So I think that also is a, you know, is a, is a very, you know. Yeah, Rajan, I, I also think the opportunity that many of us sort of woke up and realized through the pandemic of a new form of education, you know, which we're loosely calling this this blended education. I think many of us uh, realized very obvious truths through the, the pandemic that learning doesn't need to be limited to a classroom, that learning doesn't have to be limited to the teacher in front of the classroom, that learning doesn't happen during instructional hours. This opens up a very powerful channel for industry and individuals in industry to contribute directly to the last mile beneficiary, uh, you know, because you can take out half an hour a week sitting in your office, delivering a high quality education or mentorship uh, directly to students. And I think that unleashes tremendous possibility if, again, we can figure out the matching uh, yeah. behind that. No, that, that was the whole idea, right? If we can build a technology platform that supports that, right? Also yeah. not only matches, but creates, you know, like the Zoom kind of a interface for you to be able to, you know, uh, both in a hub and spoke model or a one-on-one -on -one basis, you know, engage with people, you know, very holistic. I think it could be a pretty large contribution. I know everybody has tried it in pieces and even yeah. we did you know, something on that, but I think a high-class product somewhere there could be a big, you know, good initiative for us to to take on, and of course, I'm sure the government would also be very supportive of an initiative like that. You know, yeah. but also, also, I think this technology is is going to probably help us, you know, get better gender parity when it comes to literacy between male and female in the country. I don't know, but you know, that's again an area that I know probably you're also very passionate about. But you know, how do we bridge that gap, right? If we're talking of India at hundred. You know, India 2047, the opportunity for a girl child or a male child to get educated or or forget the opportunity, actually getting educated, there shouldn't be any distinction. I mean, you know, but is that what will make that happen? Rajan, I feel it goes back again to the type of education we give our children. These problems will naturally go away. If our own understanding of education is different, you know, Teach for India fellows go into schools where girls are not allowed on the football team, girls and boys are not allowed to sit next to each other. Um, and you start making these small shifts in actions um, and breaking this down and enabling really safe dialogue for people to have different perspectives and actually surface biases that they may have. The power of what I call the circle, right? It's simplest, lowest cost, highest potential initiative in education. Can we get people to sit around and talk to each other um, and share why they have biases and listen to different perspectives? And I think things will start to shift 
I also think if we want greater parity for girls, we need to do a lot of education on the side of men and boys, because ultimately they're still holding the power that determines what girls are, are able to do in the future. Um, and so I found that when we actually empower our boys, we're making things much better for our girls as well. That's again a very different twist. And, you know, so focusing it in, in that manner, I, again, a, a large scale rollout agenda to do that, right? Not again, something which is, you know, just going to hit a few, but at scale, probably included part of a curriculum. And maybe what you rightly said, you know, where you see capacity and potential of people helping others, you know, how does every single male person who's educated ensure that one female who is not gets it? I mean, there could be tons of ways in which yeah. one can approach something like this, right? I think yeah. uh, very, and, very, very, yeah. Yeah, and I think because you said large scale, I'm also thinking Rajan of the power of like campaigns and communications and again I think this is where industry can play a huge role but you know a girl's story makes another hundred girls stories possible um, and how do we do that I mean I remember being in a small school in Kashmir where I just told my story and I could see the the look on those girls faces and essentially what I was seeing in their faces was oh my gosh it is possible for a girl to do something, you know? And so I think the power of, of like mass storytelling um, and showing that this is not just possible, this can be normal, this can be the, the new normal, um, that, that can be very powerful. So let's do that, right? You know, a rebellious 18-year-old girl, like over the next one minute, inspire the other girl, Shine, or two minutes. What, what, what's the highlight of your story, Shine? <laughs> Now that you said it, you know, let's let's get a little what what's that what is that those 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 few statements in your journey or story that really, you know, um, I think where you had a you know, where you think you conquered or you created something, you know, you overcame something that was challenging in your journey. Yeah. I mean, this is such a big question, but I'll, I'll you know, top of mind, a few of my most salient sort of like I think, you know, I I don't want to say things that I am doing, but things that I am starting to do. Um, one is just holding an incredibly high bar for children. Like, I just believe that children are limited by the bar we put on them and, and they are limitless in their potential. So that idea that kids are limitless, they are precious, they are holistic human beings and they can contribute just significantly to the world. I think that's that's been one of my, my most sort of consistent pursuits. I think the second is actually the power of love, for lack of a, a better phrase. You know, I've found that to learn that the journey is one where we can love ourselves, each other, the work that we do, that is very, very, very powerful because for all of us, when you actually love something, you're willing to do whatever it takes. And so really embracing and trying to understand the role of love um, it, towards that, that high bar, I think that that has been a second. And the third has just been like the, the, the tenacity, just stick it out. You know, when people say, what are you most proud of? I'm like, I'm still here. And like, it's not that the journey hasn't gone up and down, but you start to see the most magical things if you stay long enough. And today, you know, we have Akanksha alumni who became Teach for India fellows who now are working on staff. And I mean, you see all kinds of unbelievable circles complete, 
when you just stay long enough and you see things that you never really thought uh, would be possible. Um, and so today my, my greatest thrill comes from walking into a room and not being able to tell the difference between a fellow and a student uh, because they both are as articulate as each other and as insightful as each other. And, you know, to me, that's what it's about, like that level of education. Yeah, no, I think the most powerful emotion probably in the world, love and perseverance together can create wonders like what you're actually yeah. saying. I think that itself is, is very inspiring for people to, to continue to, to take up and do a lot more. And, you know, I think, I think uh, it, it is important, right? Because when we look at um, these kinds of people who build leadership, right, they, they are in the position to, to lead others as well. So, you know, I think this whole entrepreneurship generation that we are seeing now, especially in new age, you know, even in this pandemic, unicorns and, you know, new age startups creating a lot of value or, or even otherwise existing leaders, you know, uh, getting more people to, uh, to, to take up entrepreneurial opportunities. I remember I was at a convocation, you know, some time back and I just asked them, how many of you want to be job creators and how many want to be job seekers? There were more people who put up their hand for being job creators, right? So this, this entire generational change of, of wanting to become entrepreneurs, right, uh, I think is, is also something that our education needs to address, right? Uh, because, you know, earlier it used to be one a career for a lifetime. Now it's lifetime of careers, entrepreneurship opportunities. So, yeah. so how can the Indian education system, again, over the next you know, 20, 25 years, inculcate some of these aspects, you know, uh, deeper as a system rather than it happening, you know, due to external environments? Yeah, I, I'll come back again to the, the India strand of what I talked about earlier. You see, if you learn from textbooks and you have sort of a passive way of learning your whole life, you learn to become the opposite of an entrepreneur. Whereas if from the age of five, six, seven years old, you're taught to, you're asked what bothers you around you, you're taught to identify what you care about, and you're taught a process of solving the problems around you. If you do that consistently over 10, 15 years, you are an entrepreneur at the end of it. And I think what we've found is that that actually creates the deepest, most enduring form of learning. Like I'll never forget this moment where I visited a, a school in New Zealand, grade 10, their entire year's syllabus was building a three-story house that they were going to donate to a homeless family at the end of the year. That was their syllabus. And so they were learning values. They were learning every possible academic skill. And their exam at the end of the year was not like, did you get a 97 versus a 98? It was like, when it rains, does the family get wet? Does the family enjoy the home? It was so meaningful. And so can we really convert our education into a, a real world space where children are learning skills through solving things that they genuinely care about um, and that are meaningful to them. I think that is what is going to embed entrepreneurship uh, in our blood more broadly. No, and I think, you know, doing it when, when children are still innocent, you know, where you can inculcate all the love, perseverance, all those values alongside, you know, yeah. your potential, but also working with others and bringing the best out of them, I think is a great model. Again, one that probably needs to be a part of every education curriculum. Yeah. Now, maybe not for a whole year, right? Like what New Zealand did, but maybe one project that you need to do that is 
significant. And I'm sure today's kids will take it to a completely different level given the technology and all this, you know, uh, yeah. such a large, large part of it. In fact, there's a beautiful program called Design for Change, which is freely available online and literally has simplified design thinking for children so that they can pick up any project and solve it. Um, and I remember like our eight-year-old children in Chennai, they had a child who was hearing impaired in their class. That was the problem they wanted to solve. These children invented an entire sign language so that the child could feel included in class. And they were eight, you know, uh, 10-year-old Rehan in Ahmedabad lives in the middle of eight mountains of garbage and decided he wanted to mobilize his entire community at 10 to solve that problem. You know, and so you can imagine the rich learning that comes from solving a sort of larger than life problem for you. Actually, whether or not you solve it is irrelevant. It's the muscle that you build in trying to solve it. And I think that's true for our Teach for India uh, fellows as well, because the experience is so immersive and so fraught with challenges you're trying to solve. We've actually had 160 organizations be founded by TFI alums just in the last decade. Um, so you see how entrepreneurship very naturally gets, gets fostered. Yeah, no, no, I think, I think it's a great example of, of how, what you rightly said, entrepreneurship just in capacity building and, you know, talent itself is a, I think it's a global trillion dollar opportunity, if not more than that. And given that India has taken leadership, right, I think, you know, while in many of the new age businesses, edutech, when we talk of, you know, uh, India has actually created global leadership in, in a lot of the models. And I think given that education or the roots of education for the world in some shape and form. Beyond India itself, of course, thousand-year cultural history also originated somewhere in India. It is something that we really need to, you know, take to the world. But, you know, at the same time, Shaheen, there are some great global benchmarks or a lot of things that have been done very well by other countries, you know, over these last whatever few hundred years, you know, which I think, you know, India can also benefit from, right? Uh, Anything that, that you personally take inspiration from and you feel can be a part of what we can do? I mean, I just take inspiration all the time from, from everywhere. I, I think that would be the message I, I would leave people with. I mean, there's so many examples globally. You have the Green School in Bali. You have the KIPP schools in the US closer to home. You have the Apsara Academy in Pune. You have Sec Mall in Ladakh. I mean, there are countless examples. Uh, there are There's a lot of learning to be had from the success stories and also the things that have not worked. Um, and there's a lot of learning to be had from not just the outcome of where some of these beautiful projects are today, but the journey that they've been on. Uh, I think for me, again, it's been around like, how do you build the muscle not to reinvent? How do you take out time? It's so hard in our lives. Our lives are so busy. But how do you build the muscle to zoom out? to invest in your own learning, to carve out the time to actually visit other projects, to see where you find leverage, to shamelessly copy. I mean, I think, you know, uh, to make things open source. I think this is another thing we have to become better at. Like if, if something that TFI develops can help any child anywhere, like why would we put any limits on that, you know? So I think it's it, it comes down to like a mindset and an appetite and the time we create 
uh, for learning. And when you do that, like, you know, it, it's literally buttons away to, to find some of these great examples. Yeah, no, and you know, given that we have the world's largest pool of youthful talent for the future, you know, I think I think there's so many things that we probably need to do, you know, to, to make that happen. And I think also, you know, one of our key vision elements has always been, of course, implicit, you know, universal literacy for all. But in that, you know, creating the world's largest pool of, you know, talent, right? This, the largest skilled workforce is going to come from India, if not already. Right. And I, and I just think that, you know, that is one role that at least over the next two decades, right, India can play as we, you know, see these next 25 years plan, you know, pan out. So any, any thoughts around, you know, uh, because, you know, also the skills are changing, right, that the world is going to need, the methodologies of which you can contribute, you know, uh, productively, again, you have, you know, digital and many other ways in which one can do all of that, you know, and still make an impact in, in other parts of the world. But any, any thoughts around India building the world's largest skilled workforce and, and what we need to do over the next, you know, again, 25 years? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, again, just bringing it back to, to education, which is what I understand a little bit better, uh, Rajan, I think the first thing is like our education system, forget addressing the present, it's still addressing the past, right? So we have to just morph in our heads to even trying to envision what will that workforce look like uh, when our kids graduate and what are our schools doing today? I think holding that question and having that dialogue is, is the starting point. I think the second is there's so much, much research now around some of the critical 21st century skills that our children need. Um, as you said, our kids are going to graduate not into to one job, but maybe 10, 15, 20 jobs over a lifetime. And yet they will all need communication skills. They will all need uh, 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 collaboration skills. They will all need to be creative. Um, and so how do we teach those enduring 21st century skills and I would say even over-prioritize those to knowledge because knowledge today does not need to be memorized, right? Knowledge is freely available. Um, but I think what is going to differentiate our kids' abilities to stay ahead of the curve is how deeply they sort of embody those 21st century skills. So at, at Teach for India, we call them the eight Cs. We've actually made them into characters. Um, and they are a part of everything we do. It's critical thinking, courage, compassion, uh, communication, creativity, curiosity. Like these are the things I think to build into the fabric of our education system. Yeah, no, I think, I think you know, the, the, the Cs can extend and if you take the interplay of just curiosity and creativity, many people would discount them as, you know, similar, you know, words, but each has so much depth. And if one can own that skill, particularly in, in everything would be, would be lovely. You know, Shine, I'm just looking at the clock and I don't know how 45 minutes have gone by, but, you know, uh, uh, we've had a beautiful, wonderful conversation, but we cannot end this, end this session, you know, without really... Uh, getting, you know, a picture of what is your dream for India of 2047. So if if you had to really, you know, put your dream out there uh, and your wish for India, uh, maybe, you know, I would love to hear what that means. What that's yeah, I, I think for me, uh, my dream for India is that we reimagine the education system fundamentally and we do it 
with our children. Um, and I think if I were to underline one word in that dream, it would be the with word. How do we really think of children truly as our partners from the level of classroom to the highest level um, of policymaking? Can we really reimagine alongside them? Oh, and, and they are the future. So obviously, if they are your partners, they will not only define the future, but probably lead India for the future and be the beneficiaries of that, yeah. of that future. What a lovely, what a beautiful dream. And again, you know, thanks so much, uh, Shaheen, for, for spending these 45 minutes in this, you know, very enriching, enlightening discussion. And I'm sure there's a lot for us to take back, you know, particularly as, as industry, as, you know, government policy many, many aspects that you touched upon on how we can bring about change. But I'm going to end with one thing that I'm going to continue to trouble you and reach out to you, you know, to enable all of the things that you said happen again more at scale, how each person can, you know, do a lot more than what we are doing today uh, and really create that, you know, infectious energy around education uh, like what you said so that it becomes one of the most important and prioritized goals for our country over the next 25 years. Thank you for sharing this. And I'm sure we'll all see a beautiful India at 100 together. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. you so much. This was Shaheen Mistri, CEO of Teach for India, in an interesting conversation with host Rajan Navani, where she shared her vision for India at 100. Thank you all for tuning into the I Have a Dream podcast. Stay tuned for more conversations where we explore what India has overcome and what India can do to become a strong leader as we enter a golden period.